Well, it's great to be here with Law and Reality. I want to introduce all of us because it's our first time on WMUZ. Jenny Lingle. Hi, Ken. Great to be here. Jenny is our tax expert over at Thav Gross. Brian Small. A pleasure to be here, Ken. It is going to be fun. Brian is our financial crisis management expert and also an estate planning expert, and he pops in on, on those issues. And my name is Ken Gross. I'm by trade a business attorney dealing with business issues and also financial crisis issues. So our topic today is we're happy to be with you on the Salt of Detroit for WMUZ, and I want to kind of give you a, a framework of how we're going to proceed with Law & Reality, what the show is about, how it goes week to week. We have had a lot of topics to talk about. Law & Reality encompasses lots of different issues. But the challenge is I want to introduce the show not by way of a narrative, but rather by way of an example so that you get more of a feel of the problems that we try and address and solutions that we kind of come up with. So I kind of coined the phrase for this today's show of problems you don't want. And I'll lead in with the first one goes like this. You haven't filed your tax returns for 10 years. Two IRS agents knock on your door with ID and ask if you are home. The first question to Jenny is, does this ever happen? This absolutely does happen. There's a misnomer out there right now that says the IRS never comes to your home, to your business, or calls you on the phone. Um, That's absolutely not correct. However, I want to caution that the IRS absolutely never says that you need to go get a prepaid debit card or go on to irs.gov, G-O-B, or some strange website, um, or that they're going to send the local county sheriff out to arrest you if you don't run out to your bank right now and give them a debit card or your credit card. They absolutely never do that. Those are those IRS scams that we hear all about. Yes. All the time. I mean, they'll come but, on but the rare IRS occasion is- and visit. But they Absolutely. don't they don't call though, do they? On a cold call. They'll never call. Revenue I office, get those scams all the time. Well, a revenue officer might call you, but what they usually say will tell you is that they're a assigned to your case and they're usually in a local office and at that point you, you take their information And then there's different ways to protect yourself to check out whether they they really are, in fact, who they say they are. Um, they typically will send out correspondence before they call you. And in in any type of a scam call, it doesn't have to be IRS or anything else. If if you're solicited by an outsider, whether they're emailing you or whether they're calling you, your first line of defense is to hang up the phone and contact them. If you get an email, do not click the link and respond. If you get an email and you think it might like from your bank, a lot of times those are phishing expeditions where they're not real emails. The solution is you pick up the phone, you, you look up the number of your bank, and you call the bank and say, hey, I received an email. Is it correct? And 99 out of 100 times, it's going to be incorrect. So you don't go clicking on things on your computer unless you know the source coming from is someone that you know, and it should be sending you an email. And if you get a solicited phone call from some guy telling you that the county sheriff is coming to pick you up because you haven't because you owe taxes, that's always a scam. And you might as well just hang up the phone. Uh, you could call and notify the local police, but there are so many of those constant calls now that the police can't really 
uh, act on them. But it's, Absolutely. It's a big I get a lot of people call me and say, they, I ask them first, what is the number? Google is often your friend. If you type in the 1-800 number that they told you to call back, often you'll find out that way it's a scam. Um, if you're not sure or it doesn't come up because it's a new number, then what I usually give people is the actual direct dial to IRS collections, and they can say, no, you don't have a problem, or yes, you've been assigned to the local, say, Farmington Hills, Detroit, Pontiac office. All right, so, but let's focus for a second just on the idea of, okay, you haven't filed your tax returns. Generally speaking, what you want to realize is, first of all, that's not an unusual situation. It's not your ideal situation, but it's not uncommon for someone to have fallen behind. First it's one year, then it's the second year, and then all of a sudden it's the third year, they can't find their yeah, records, there's a lot of and then they're listening. afraid, they kind of bury their head in the sand. There's a lot of people here out there listening right now saying, oh my goodness, how could you ever fall 10 years behind? And I'm telling you right now, it does happen to an awful lot of people. And that stress and the pressure that builds up on you is, is incredible. And I hate to tell you this, but not filing your income tax returns is a federal crime. Yeah, and the other thing is 10 years, is, I just want to make sure everyone realizes there's no magic number to 10. You know, if it's three years or four years or two years or three years, it's still a problem. The solution is you really want to file the return and bring yourself into voluntary compliance before they come looking for you. So when you bury your head in the sand because, and a lot of times you bury your head in the sand because you're saying, how am I, I don't know where the records are, I don't know how to prepare the returns, I don't know what to do, so you just forget about it and hope that it goes away, and then it doesn't. Well, and a lot of people say, well, I'm going to owe, so I'm not going to file. Now, we've talked about this on on other shows before, there's penalties for not filing, which are 25% of the unpaid tax. A lot of people who come to me who haven't filed because they're afraid of how much they owe, what I usually do is a free consultation and I walk them through what their resolution is going to be. And once they find out what that resolution is going to be, they they say, I wish I would have come to you last year, the year before. I've been losing sleep and that's all I need to do. And the answer is, is typically a, a simple solution. So, so Jenny, what happens to the person that doesn't have their records? You know, they haven't filed a return for six years, but the records got washed away in the basement or they're just a, in a state of disarray to the point where they can't find where they are. They can't get over the hump of saying, I can't pull the records together. So the IRS has something called wage and income transcripts. And anyone who gave you a W-2, a 1099, a mortgage interest statement, et cetera, will have reported that to the Internal Revenue Service. So we can pull those wage and income transcripts, which will give you a record of all the reportable income uh, per tax year. And then we can walk you through estimating good faith uh, expenses, for example, if you're self-employed. So you pull the, you get the income information actually right from the government. Yes. Then we sit down. Say you're a truck driver, okay? You're a truck driver, but you don't have your receipts. You don't have your log of all the miles you drove. But we know that you owned the truck and that you earned your income driving the truck. We know that there had to be depreciation expense on the truck. There had to be tire expense. There had to be gasoline expense. We estimate those based upon the income, based upon reasonable, reasonable ratios, and we then develop and prepare the return. We get all the returns filed. If you owe some money, we get you on a payment plan, or we put you into an offering compromise to get rid of the tax. There's always simple, there's actually simple, concrete solutions to those problems. The, the I want to, I want to move on to these, another one. To the key to any problem, though, is making sure you don't hide your head in the sand. You've got to face it because problems like these, financial problems, they don't go away unless you actively do something. And remember, what's your ultimate goal? Your ultimate goal 
is to get yourself back on a path where you can live, eat, sleep, breathe, and, and retire enjoy life. and retire and comfortably. Retire. Yeah. All right. Let me give you another scenario. Oh, what we're doing today is. We, we talk tax problems, we talk financial problems, we talk business problems, we talk about covenants not to compete. In terms of our basic philosophy from the standpoint of law and reality, I would say our mantra is preserving future income for you and your family. Looking at all the strategies that can be employed with the goal of reaching a comfortable retirement because what we see happening in our economy and in the U.S. these days is baby boomers are retiring without adequate reserves for retirement. And tremendous amounts of debt at the same time and they're unable and incapable of of supporting themselves at this point. They're losing their homes. They're having to move back in with, with family members that they never intended to do because they are still independent but they're not financially independent anymore. There's so many mistakes being made that can be avoided with just solid planning. Here's another example. You use your American Express card on a regular basis to pay your business bills. You're a business person. Without any advance notice, AMX declines your card and cuts your credit from $10,000 to $1,500 when your account shows a current balance of $1,450. Now, I'm using American Express, but I'm not picking on them. It would apply to any credit card company. This could happen. But just the other day, a a friend of mine tells me he's in that situation. I'm paying all my business expenses every month with the American Express card. Without any notice, they cut me off. They reduced my available credit to virtually nothing because I owed them $1,450, and they reduced it down to there. What do you do? Does this happen to people? What's the solution, Brian? Indeed, it does happen. And the problem is is that we've gotten so used to that little swipe concept where you swipe your card and and you pay your bills with it. You swipe the credit card, I'll pay it at the end of the month. You swipe the credit card, I'll pay the minimum monthly payment. I, I don't need to pay the whole thing. I'm comfortable in paying whatever it is. And you're utilizing that credit card instead of utilizing cash. And cash... Is, is where we, if you think back and you go, you say to yourself, well, my grandparents, they all used cash. My parents, they used cash. We as a generation, as a society now, are, are prone to using these credit cards. And it's up to the bank whether or not they decide whether or not you're going to continue to have that credit. And unless you have some reserves, you put yourself in a position where when they cut your line of credit well, off, why would you're they in cut, trouble. Why would, they cut, why would they have cut my friend's line? You know what? Any number of reasons. It could have been that, that American Express checked how much available credit he had everywhere and said that there was too much credit available out there, and they cut it. It could have been that his credit score dropped. It could have been that he was maxing out his other credit cards, and so American Express saw him as becoming a credit risk. See, typically in that situation, what happens is Credit card companies check your credit score, your, your, your credit report every 60 days. If they see your account balances on other cards going up, they have their own formulas that they've developed that say, that automatically trigger alerts that say, hey, he's out of formula, we need to cut back available credit on this guy because we don't want to end up having to take a loss on the card. So they, but they do it in a, in a mean fashion. They don't send you a letter in advance typically. A lot of times they just deny the charge when it goes through and, that's, and then you get the letter the next day or two days after saying we've reevaluated your credit. And I'm going to tell you this it's is a big gonna problem s- for people. This though. is going to start happening more and more. 
Just recently, we reached the point where we now have more credit card debt in the United States than we did before the economic collapse in 2008. And so these credit card companies are issuing more and more credit, and we're, there's another bubble. It's coming. It's going to burst. And you, as an individual, need to be prepared and make sure that you are in a cash position so that you're not running your life on credit. I think it's a good point. Here, go back to the situation in 2007 and 8. We were living off of available credit to an extent that shouldn't have been the case, and everybody had, it would be very common for someone to be carrying $30,000, of credit card debt and still had $30,000, $40,000 of available credit. The economy collapsed, and then over the course of the next 18 months, the credit card companies cut everybody's available credit down to zero, leaving them with no available credit, no cash in the bank and savings, and a lot of people also lost jobs when when the economy fell apart. The next time around, now we're in 2018, it's a little bit different environment. The economy is strong. The banks have gotten a big tax cut, so their cost of operating is less. Available credit right now is at a high, and the banks are making credit available very easily to people. But what's going to happen when the economy slumps, just like what Brian is saying, is when the economy starts dipping, you will see the banks react far faster than it took them in 2008 and 2009. They will will take away available credit by computer-generated action just like the stock market does automatic selling and, and sell-offs, it'll all be that, it'll be that automated, and people will find themselves in the same boat that they were before. They'll have no available credit, and they won't have any cash saved in the bank. It's going to be a big problem. It's going to be huge, and it's coming. And don't think it isn't. We've, we've gone through a period of eight years without a recession, and cyclically, from, a, from an economic standpoint, you have to have a recession. It's going to happen. It's not that it's... It may get pushed off a little bit longer with the strong economy, but it has to happen. It's a normal economic cycle. So what that tells us is this is something that you have to prepare for. So the best thing that I usually say is when people come into our office for a free consultation with large credit card debt or tax debt is we start looking at what your options are. Do we want to do something to pay off those credit cards? Do we want to settle? Do we think we need to put you into a bankruptcy? What can we do so that you can have more cash in your pocket and be better prepared for these things that we know are going to happen? See, one of the things that we like to do is we want to find the quickest easiest, most cost-effective method to get you out of debt because we start off with a theory that we have we have this three-point retirement plan. And it's, it's not what you might find at, at one of the big uh, investment companies. It's, it's a simple, straightforward concept. Own your own home free and clear when you retire. Have some money in the bank and have no debt. It's that simple. And if you can manage that and put yourself in that position, you will find that life is pleasant and enjoyable. You'll have you adequate money to pay your bills, live comfortably, provide presents for your grandchildren, and take an occasional vacation. Because you, you don't have to spend as much money when you're in retirement. But if you have a mortgage or you're renting an apartment and all you have and you're trying to pay credit cards and you're trying to make two car payments and all you have coming in is $2800 a month in social security that's the person that has no chance and that's 
Too many baby boomers are crossing that road right now, and that's what we need to do is try and prevent that. But let me give you one more scenario. You've applied for, you're behind on your mortgage. You applied for a loan modification. You sent in all the paperwork. You were told by the bank's representative that things look good. And then all of a sudden you get a certified letter in the mail from Trot Law informing you that your house is going to be sold at foreclosure in five weeks. Does this happen? Every single day. Here's what's going on. You see, loan modifications, which were very popular at the height of the financial crisis where the mortgage companies wanted to uh, uh, modify your mortgage rather than take back another piece of property, they've kind of tapered off, but they still do exist. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to get the bank to work with you. You've fallen behind on your mortgage for some reason. You had a health issue. You had job loss, income loss in the household. Whatever it is, something happened, a life event occurred, and now you're behind on the house. And so you ask the mortgage company to work with you. And they send you a big packet of, of uh, to be filled out for a loan modification. You fill it out. You send in all the stuff. And you're waiting, and the representative says everything looks good. And suddenly somebody, you get that certified letter, and somebody posts something on your door that you're going to foreclosure in five weeks. And you call up the bank saying, oh, my God, why are you foreclosing? And they say, well, your mortgage hasn't been modified yet, and you are eight months behind, so we are going to foreclose. In fact, sometimes it's even worse because you call back the same person that you talked to who is handling the loan modification, and that person doesn't even necessarily know that another branch of the bank has sent the file to foreclosure and says, oh, yeah, your loan modification is still going through. I wouldn't worry that much about the notice. Worry. We should have you approved before then. Worry. It is Always the worst worry. possible advice. It's if you, called dual tracking, where they both proceed forward with a loan modification attempt and foreclosure. And whichever happens first, happens first. So here's the key. What should you do if you're facing foreclosure in that situation and you've gotten the notice from a local law firm? It could be Trot Law. It could be Schneiderman. It could be Potestivo and Associates. There's basically five firms that handle virtually all the foreclosures in the metropolitan Detroit area. What do you do? How do you stop that foreclosure? So you have two major legal options at that point. One, you could actually write them a check for everything that you're behind. It's called reinstating your mortgage. So if you're Yeah, you could win the lottery if too. If 15, you could write the yeah. check, you wouldn't be in foreclosure. Right, but if you if you if you're $15,000 behind, they want you to bring them a certified cashier's check for $15,000, that'll stop the foreclosure. I hope you've got some better options than that, Brian. I do. Actually, what we have is is an opportunity out there called Chapter 13 bankruptcy. Now, a lot of people cringe at the term bankruptcy, but this is a tool to help you. It reorganizes your debt. So, by example, the bank wants $15,000 immediately, and you say, I don't have it. Then they say they're going to foreclose. Well, utilizing the Chapter 13 process, you can actually take the arrearage, that $15,000, $10,000, $20,000, however far you've fallen behind, and spread it out over five years. And you don't ask the bank to work with you at this point. You force the bank to work with you. I want to I, I emphasize something. When you get that notice and it says the house is going to be sold at foreclosure in five weeks, if you do nothing, the house will be sold at foreclosure in five weeks. And the moment it is sold, your remedies are virtually non-existent. So what you have to do is you have to find a way to stop the sale. The only way 
that you can stop the sale without the consent of the lender is by filing that Chapter 13 bankruptcy. The, ba- the lender doesn't have anything to do with it. You file that bankruptcy before the sale. And it will stop the foreclosure in its tracks. And it I, will give you the time to catch back up. Now what that, if you file it a week after the if sale? If you file it after a week after the sale, you're, you, you lost already. But if you file it before, and that, that, that sale, by the way, that's, that includes if you're behind on your property taxes and they're going to property tax foreclosure, if you're behind on your mortgage and they're doing a mortgage foreclosure, if they're doing some sort of judicial foreclosure, you can stop the sale. No matter what, that Chapter 13 process puts something called the automatic stay in place and legally stops the lender from collecting and gives you time to restructure and reorganize. The important message is this. Chapter 13 has that word bankruptcy attached to it. And as we go through the show, we're going to explain how bankruptcy can be a very good tool to eliminate debt and reposition your finances so that you can preserve your future income for savings and retirement. But when you're facing foreclosure, if the lender won't agree to stop the sale and moder- in writing to you, your only remedy to save your home is to file that Chapter 13 before the sale. So you need to get on your horse, get in to see an attorney, see someone like Brian Small, and file the Chapter 13 before the sale. It's that critical of a moment, and the window and time frame that they give you is narrow. They don't send you a notice of foreclosure saying the house is going to sale in 22 weeks. It's typically, the statute says four weeks. In Metro Detroit, all of the lenders publish for five weeks to give you an extra week, not because they're gracious, because just in case they made some kind of a mistake, they want a week to clean it up. So you need to, you need to jump on that situation to, av- you know, to avoid the problem. Let me give you another one, a little bit different. Mom is single. She's, success- she's a successful businesswoman. She's in failing health. She's also stubborn. And she's been unwilling to do an estate plan her entire life. She's always, every time her children. Everybody's mother out there. (laughs) Her children go to her and say, Mom, you need an estate plan. Mom says, I'm not doing an estate plan. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not, if I do an estate plan, I'm going to die. I'm not doing it. She goes in the hospital. She can't make decisions while she's in the hospital. She's incoherent. Uh, She needs someone to take control of her business and she needs someone to take care of her financial needs what does she do if she's coherent what if she what does she do if she's incoherent well, if she's coherent mom needs to at least at the very least do a patient advocate and a power of attorney to allow those around her who her relatives her, her family to assist her when she's no longer capable of assisting herself if mom isn't coherent, that's where somebody in the family is going to have to go to the probate court and be established as guardian and conservator over mom. The guardian and conservatorship is an extremely lengthy and expensive process by comparison to doing a power of attorney and a patient advocate, which is simple, simple documents. Quick. So mom needs to not be so stubborn. So if mom is now coherent in the hospital and she could sign a power of attorney, a patient advocate, her first step should be to do that. We could, you could we can also go to the, the hospital and have we the can, documents signed right there. Right. We can do a will and a trust while they're sitting in the hospital too. It's just a matter of making sure that you address the problem and don't ignore it. Because if you ignore it, 
you get into a situation when mom's not coherent and you've got real big problems. Right. Time to do a couple announcements. We always have announcements as part of the show. I want to also remind our listeners there's a TV version of Law and Reality. It is on every Sunday morning, 11 o'clock a.m. on TV 20. We do case studies and case examples, and we have the benefit of, of the TV screen where we can put numbers on the board and explain how we go about resolving problems. We have a seminar coming up. It is Wednesday, August 1st, 6 to 7.30 p.m. at our offices in Bingham Farms. It is called Debt Free as Me. We're going to talk about how to preserve future income uh, for you and your family, how to eliminate debt. Jenny's going to talk about how to deal with tax problems. Brian and I are going to talk about all the methods that we use to preserve future income for you and your family. Attendance at our seminars is always free. Attendees also get a free copy of my book, Dump Your Debt. You can sign up at thavgross.com or lawandreality.com, or you can do it the old-fashioned way and call our offices at 888-235-HELP. You can also always come into Thavgross for a free consultation. You can go to the website, lawandreality.com or thavgross.com, and click on a link requesting a free consult, or you're always invited to just call the offices at 888-235-HELP. Now, we cover all sorts of issues in our office. We Debt issues, tax issues, estate planning, business issues. We have elder law specialists with Pat Samasco who works with us, and uh, disability and Social Security issues with our, our friend Jeff Kirshner. And so where we're going with the show is each week when we come on, we, we do two things. We track current events in the law in terms of things that are happening, particularly that affect consumers. I mean, right now the big chatterbox is on the Supreme Court nominee, but there's so much coverage on that. There's, you know, the, 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 there's no point in, in chiming in on that. We try and make things more local from the standpoint of looking at what's going on. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau puts out an announcement relative to an enforcement action against a, a, a creditor doing something. We like to cover those issues. Uh, so it's, it's a broad perspective, but also other issues like, you know, you're signing an employment agreement. It has a covenant not to compete. People think, is that covenant not to compete enforceable? The answer to the question is typically yes, but it depends on what it says. So we get a broad scope of questions uh, that we deal with on issues on a regular basis. You can also always email us into info at thavgross.com if you've got any questions or go on the website, and we can try and address them uh, on, on the show as we're going. Got a couple more minutes left. Uh, any final comments? Jenny, you got anything you want to add? I just want to say it's great to be here, and I'm excited to see what the show brings. Very excited to be here, and it's and it's going to be exciting to to introduce to everybody the different uh, legal topics that we're going to be going over. And we assure you of this: we don't make it's not going to be boring, and we try to make it interesting. And one of the key things is is we try to tie in the problems that we're discussing with the everyday problems that everybody faces, and nobody ever wants to share, but. It's reality, and this is why we come up with the title, Law and Reality. The reality of solving problems is you can't be just short-term. You need to look long-term. We're a short-term society that on Monday everyone wants to make it to Friday. You want to try and stretch it out a little bit longer so that you know what's ahead of you. Look 10 years and 20 years when it comes to finances. That's the solution. I want to thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with Law and Reality.